At the Table focuses so much on hospitality, trying to make people comfortable, trying to meet people where they are, to welcome them into our lives, and to use that as the origin point for all of our other conversations, whether it's about politics or whether it's about life or whether we're talking about how we're all going crazy in quarantine, that is the original point for for me and for us as we try to create this community around this conversation. And I am heartened by a book that I uh, got picked up the other day uh, from someone who I know here in D.C., I think someone who I've read quite a bit uh, as a staff writer for The Atlantic and someone who's now written Weird, The Power of Being an Outsider in an Insider World. Olga Hazan joins me for At the Table. Olga, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I love this. I enjoyed it. It was kind of a balm (laughs) for my lonely quarantine soul right now and and you you address loneliness often in the book but i also just feel like there's there's something um very connective to it and i appreciate that but i want to start with how you got into this project because i thought it was so interesting and so different from most i mean i've seen like for example a video that you did for the atlantic where you talked about the anxiety of karaoke or whatever so there's it's clear that you've got you've done science reporting you've done other things like that how did this project come into being and why do you care yeah um, obviously aside from being uh, weird yourself kind of got interested in this because i um had been thinking a lot about my, I mean, I guess everyone always thinks a lot about themselves, but I had been thinking a lot in particular about my immigrant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've been thinking a lot how about my, my immigrant background and like how it's affected my life. And, um, you know, I mean, I think everyone kind of sometimes wonders whether their early upbringing, to what extent that, that has set their life up on a certain trajectory and how that affects them, you know, uh, continually. So I, I was like, oh, like, I don't know, should I, I was kind of like thinking about book projects and I was like, should I do something on immigrants? I don't know. Like in some ways I'm not a like prototypical immigrant because I, um, you know, I'm I'm from Russia, which there's not that many Russian immigrants. um, And I came through this like special program. So I didn't have to like cross any borders or do any anything um, that like uh, harrowing. So uh, but I, I was thinking about how has this experience of being different, of growing up Russian in West Texas affected my life um and I kind of just started to think about other people who were like that and other people who were able to sort of combat the social anxiety and the imposter syndrome of being different and to really triumph and to feel confident in themselves even if they were super weird quote unquote um and uh so I started to kind of explore all the like psychological nooks and crannies uh there and um and to reach out to other people who were different from others around them. Um, and that's kind of how it all started to gel. One of the things that I I enjoyed was your celebration of the weird throughout the book. And there's kind of a biographical piece that you kind of dip back in and out of throughout the book. Actually, it reminded me that the narrative style is almost Game of Thrones, where we kind of we see different chapters, like sub chapters devoted to different people throughout the time. And so we'll we'll pick up with one person and then go to another person and then we'll catch up with them. For example, I I really uh, was moved early on by the, the story of Daniel, the uh, 
the elementary school and preschool teacher. And then we didn't pick up for him for like a hundred more pages. I was like, when are we going to find out if he's okay? Uh, and it was, it was very, it was, uh, you said harrowing. Uh, it was very difficult to kind of leave some of those stories for length, lengthy periods of time, but I would recommend that people soldier through. Um, right away, you identify that weird is good and that community for the weird is good. But let me let me start by asking you, credential yourself as a weird person, because you've, you've talked about immigrant background. That seems in this moment in 2020, is that even enough? Can you talk about what is what is the weirdest? Like, um, give yeah, me the high, am, high water marks not, of your weirdness. Like, so I think um, and, and this this has to do with the book. I, I, so it's uh, there aren't that many um weird people in dc right because dc is a very no i mean it's a very <laughs> loose culture right it's, it's like it's it's a very young liberal uh group of people and and so in the book i write about how that means that you have a lot of different lifestyles that are acceptable um it is it is not uh unusual here right. to um be uh, transgender or um, LGBT, but in some parts of the country, that is still viewed negatively. Uh, you know, it's not unusual here to be an immigrant, right. uh, like you said, um, but in some parts of the country, um, you know, I like for this book, I went to Wichita Falls, Texas and stopped into a Taco Bell and, you know, Chipotle and everyone, the cashiers asked me about my name and like why I had such an unusual name. That would never happen here like that. It's just so so being weird depends on where you are and what the culture is of the place that that surrounds you. So I, I would argue that I'm not like, yeah, walking around D.C. as a immigrant with, uh, you know, a writing job um, is not that uh, unusual. You know, I mean, I could say other ways that I differ from most uh, people my age. I don't I'm not married and I don't have children. Um, if I were to go back home to Texas, I think that would kind of make me um, uh, unusual. Uh, but but it's not unusual in D.C. because we have a very loose culture. And I think I gravitated toward a loose culture because I knew that I um, didn't really quite fit in some of those boxes that um you know, that in tight cultures, they kind of want to put you in. Do you feel like you've benefited from being weird in a place with other weird people? Do you feel like you've flourished more here? I, I, I thought about this throughout the book of what would have happened if Olga had stayed in Texas, for example. And I'm sure with the level of you know, self-introspection that you've shown here, this seems like ground that you've probably yeah, trod totally. I mean, often um, or well. I, yeah. I, so I was really looking to leave Texas when I, when I graduated high school, cause I was, I, I knew that I just didn't fit in and I wanted something, um, different. Um, and I, I do think that like, I, you know, I like in my adult life, I've lived in DC and Los Angeles, <laughs> which like both of, both of which were, very easy to you know you can like walk down the street wearing a bikini top and strumming a banjo in LA and people don't really look twice um so I, I like you know it's clear that I picked like the milieus that I would feel most comfortable in um and um yeah I mean it is t like like the first question people ask you in parts of Texas is where what ch which church do you go to and 
it's not like are you a person of faith and if so do you are you jewish or like christian it's like which church do you go to so i i mean yeah that that's what it's like and so if you um you know but at the same time like i don't really have a strong community here like i don't really I don't, I'm, I don't go to, uh, like a, you know, church or anything. And I, I, I don't have that kind of like cozy feeling of like everyone rallying around me. I don't have any family here. Like I, I'm sort of like this lone, lone wolf. And like, I think something that, um, tight cultures provide you tight cultures where people are kind of more in step with one another and are kind of all doing the same thing is that sense of community and that sense of belonging, um, that I think a lot of people are you know, in some cases missing these days. Do you feel like the book would have been different or your opinions about those tight communities would have been different if it had been after this quarantine moment? I feel like, for example, the the communities that I may have not thought of as the most valuable are the ones that I am leaning on. People are reaching out. People, and not just exes, but like people who, you know, you you find the 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 idea that people, on some visceral human level, give a shit about you and want to see how you're doing. And I wonder about is it harder for you, and would that have tainted or or tinctured in some way the the writing that you've done here in this book Weird, where you've talked about the necessity for people to have a community or or the the value or the strength that comes in having somebody who is like you, even if you yourself are weird? I, I guess what I'm saying is, how how is quarantine treating you <laughs> and 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 have has it made you wanted to uh, want to add uh, a yeah, prologue so, or an I epilogue mean, to this like, uh, newly newly released I don't know book. how much people listening know about books but they're done like 6 months before they come out so I definitely would not have chosen now to release a book about um <laughs> like well that's yeah, that's yeah I, w- I would more not of a business decision now to yeah a book about making friends um uh so yeah I mean you know my <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I took a sip of coffee right before that, and so like every it was everything I could do not to my not to ruin this microphone. Bad luck. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> look, I mean, so my experience <laughs> has been different. Like it's been unusual because I I released a book, and like I have heard from people who um, were you know kind of part of my past who have reached out, but it's because I had a book come out, not because they're like worried about me during quarantine. Um, uh, if anything, I think like a lot of people feel really lonely right now and feel like no one cares about them and, and, and feel like, um, you know, I think so. Okay. So for people who struggle to make friends, I think, uh, they're struggling even more right now. Like, I think that if you already were someone who had a lot of friends and who was really social and who, um, was good at reaching out to people and, and, um, maintaining connections, I think you're having, like, you're the one having the zoom happy hours and the like, things right now but I think for a lot of people um they're not really able to do that like that like I like I for example struggled to like really maintain connections with people back when we could see each other in person and uh (laughs) like now I'm like sort of like texting (laughs) people I guess but it's like you know it's yeah it's it's tough I mean it's it's like a tough time for everyone but I think I think like the isolated are becoming even more isolated this isn't something that you 
I don't remember a story in the book that that refers to this. Maybe there's a, a theme that I that I missed out on. But is this quarantine moment going to weird everybody? Like, for example, I'm 36. This is the third recession of my life. In many ways, my adulthood is, you know, I was in college. I was a freshman in college when 9-11 happened. Like, this is... The, the the tragedies of this moment have kind of been thin tree rings of of growth over and over again. And so that if you were to look back on this, you'll see this. And I wonder about, does everyone get, you know, a diseased yeah, know. tree band for this year? While, no, I'm, th- I'm just thinking about this. Like, you, you, you see the forest, you cross-cut it, and you say, wow, what... What the hell happened in 2020? Well, all the trees were starved of, of human attention. I, I think I'm, I'm torturing this metaphor, but I but I think you understand what I'm trying to say, which is that do yeah, we all I, get weird know, in this moment? Day, is that what um, happens? And um, this person said that they they were becoming like more themselves during quarantine. Like, I feel like like society is like a cooling saucer for all of our all of our weirdness. Right. Like. I don't know. Like, I feel like now that the only, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The Senate of of our weirdness. Only person. So the only person I really interact with every day is my boyfriend. And like, he's already seen like the worst of everything I have to offer. Right. Like, like 10 years together. Like he's seen like my hairiest legs and like, you know, just like me saying outlandish things and like putting on, you know, the weekend and dancing in the kitchen. Like, you know, like there is absolutely nothing that like I'm like trying to like uh, there's no side of myself that I'm like trying to present anymore. <laughs> and like, uh, I don't know. I wonder if right. some of those things are going to. I, I Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I wonder if like if like we're going to all become like like us to the max, like extra strength us like <laughs> after this, because because you don't have anyone to like, you know, um, like bounce your ideas off of or like you know be like hey I really think that like you know the world is run by giant lizards like no one's telling you that that's not true right now (laughs) you're just kind of going around believing it (laughs) (laughs) which is weird because some of the the most misinformation is coming from the president of the United States but that's a separate I guess a separate topic where you know I mean you know the anti-vax community is is being heartened by the fact that you know Bill Gates is trying to control us all with his uh you know vaccine tracking system right. so yeah I can see how that would be bad in the long run but I was actually thinking about it in terms of the positives and forgive me for 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 trying to how dare I be positive in this moment but I you talk so much in the in the like the second third of the book about the advantage advantages conferred upon the weird it we we've always seen let me let me try this a different way we've always seen that societal trauma makes cultural shifts and i'm wondering about the cultural shift that comes out of this do we all get the advantages of being a little weirder the advantages that you describe in the book by having to sit in our own unshoweredness for three months. I mean, I'm again, maybe I'm struggling too hard for the positives here, but you talk a lot about the, the adversity and, and the, and you've written about the ways in which people can overcome this, whether it's, you know, the, 
the the race car driver or the you know the 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 the, the trans politician or what all these really cool stories that that are heartening but i think about this where everyone's going to have this unusual experience that is identical in so many ways like it's going to be the what, where were you on 9-11 story or the, you know, I guess the you know, two generations ago, three generations ago, the where were you when JFK was shot story? It's like, this is going to be another thing that we all have in common. Does that make us weird? Does that make us the same? Yeah. Or, I and mean, is it, um, does it so confer any, so, any advantages? Like, I think a lot of people, especially at the beginning, were tweeting like, um, Isaac Newton thought of like such and such during quarantine or like, I feel yeah, like... <laughs> Yeah, and fuck him, by the way. You know, like if you're if you're able to focus that much during during a tragedy, <laughs> right. um, you're a sociopath. That might be I setting think, the expectation honestly. too like, high. Uh, <laughs> you know, but one of the advantages. I have been playing Animal Crossing, okay? Like, and I have a shot. I have a two-month-old, okay? He is not getting all of my attention. You're, I just want to be clear. Be like that is not getting all of my attention right baby, now. But, um, but uh, no, but I mean, but. It is. It's true. It's one of the advantages of feeling like you're out alone in the world, that there's no one connecting with you, that you're just like this social reject is creativity. And like, I think a lot of times that's why, you know, writers go on writing retreats and why, um, you know, like, like all the, the famous like artists were like these like kooky people who like sat on mountaintops and like thought a lot because like sometimes, um, the kind of most creative ideas come from a feeling of like, okay, I don't belong anywhere. I don't really have a social circle. I just need to come up with like the craziest thing I can. Um, and yeah, not all of those are going to be like, uh, you know, whatever, like a masterwork, but, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to be, this is not going to turn you into Proust necessarily, but like you, like, you know, if you throw (laughs) enough like creative ideas out there, like some of them are going to, flourish and I think I do think it's like a cool opportunity for people to um you know all those like side projects that you never got to because you were busy going to happy hour well now there's no happy hour (laughs) so you know maybe you could like revisit some of those (laughs) (laughs) my my therapist is Argentinian which Argent Argentines have this amazing tradition of of therapy there's like the the highest concentration of counselors and therapists per per capita in Argentina which is it's it's an amazing thing and so he's but he's in DC and he um and and he's excellent and one of the things that he's talked about both as someone who is counseling me and helping me be my best self but also someone who for whom American life is not the default and standard he said he's genuinely hopeful that we all come out of this with a little bit more of that introspection, a little bit more of that being comfortable with ourselves, because especially in a town like DC, being uncomfortable with ourselves is also part of the culture. It feels like there's this kind of self-deprecating, but, but I want to push back on something because you, in several points in the book, you acknowledge privilege. You talk about the fact that you don't present in all places and in all ways as someone who's different, especially in Washington DC but but in lar- in many places in the country until someone took your your taco <laughs> order they wouldn't necessarily know your name and know that you're weird um but th- that you are presenting in a in a way that's that's pretty um normal and not weird uh and 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 then the other part of this is i think about some of the the writing that 
you know, both in this book and in, in other similar things where we talk about the benefits of introspection or creativity. I contrast that with some of the writing of people who are like, for example, memoirists who deal with poverty. Like we're not talking about what we're experiencing. You and I are experiencing as we have this conversation across two microphones in respective offices or, you know, rooms in comfortable rooms in DC is like white collar quarantine. We are having a good, an easier time than other people. And and the reason I bring that up is because this isn't seven years of growing. This isn't, you know, a uh, poverty memoir. And so what, what, we're having is this acknowledgement that creativity is is a position of privilege. How do we is 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 enjoying the benefits of weird with all that throat clearing and preamble is enjoying the the privileges and benefits. Yeah, of weird I mean that's a really something good for point. people like, who this are already is, comfortable. So something I've been writing a lot about in my like normal life is about how hard it is for you know. Uh, the working class right now like you can't work from home if you're a grocery store checker or an amazon right. warehouse employee um and uh yeah i mean right. we're totally privileged the fact that you know we're able to stay safe at home is like a complete um yeah white collar like like the fact that you can podcast like more or less from home is like is is a huge privilege and like that's even something that the creativity researchers that i talk to talk about which is that um you know it it kind of starts to sound like, oh, anything bad that happens to me is weird and like that is going to make me more creative. But it's it's actually not like that. Like there definitely um, there's a sweet spot there where if you're just dealing with like how to afford everything and how to get your food stamps and how to like pay for child care, you're not going to become this like, you know, um, ne- it's not necessarily going to lead to a huge breakthrough because you're just worried about how to like get through life. Um, so yeah, so I'm not, well, and you, and you talk about, oh, I'm sorry, but you, you also talk about how, um, the, the punishment for not being normal is a big part of, of the process. And, and that, that, you know, obviously some of that is rule breaking is its own, is its own thrill for the people who want to enjoy being weird. But if you're living on the margin of, you know, affordability and, you know, hand to mouth kind of lifestyle, you can't afford the the punitive damages of rule breaking. I mean, you can't afford like conformity is a survival tactic, which you talk about from the psychological aspect. But this is also I mean, it's a lower it's a lower rung on the pyramid for Maslow. I mean, and we even see this in like research about gender in the workplace. It's like all those studies about like it pays to be like super crazy right. in a meeting. It's like, yeah, if you're like a white man, but if you're like already someone who no yes. one really accepts, yes. you know, it's not going to pay to be super crazy in the meeting because like uh, you're like just struggling for acceptance. So yeah, I definitely want to want to acknowledge that. And like, not everyone is going to come out of this with like their next novella, you know, written. Like I hope everyone comes out of it alive and like, able to rebuild their lives um so yeah i i like conflating like uh quarantine and like benefits like i i definitely want to be sensitive to the fact that like it's it's a huge class privilege thing i just don't want you to expect me to you know do anything like this podcast is not going to get much better uh, just because we're, we're quarantined. I was not wearing pants before this. <laughs> I will continue not. Um, there, there's, 
there, there's you you talk a lot about in like in the third, you know, in the last third of the book. There's a lot about community, and you say you said a few moments ago that you don't feel like you have a community here in D.C. And I wonder about, especially in this moment, how difficult that is for you personally. But I also think about the necessity for for the weird to thrive by finding similarly weird folks. And you write a lot about that in the book. Um, I, for example, you know, like you, not not church going, not, you know, the, again, very, very DC, but also uh, one of the things that we've done is we've created, we've, my wife and I now have four years of this under our belts, where we have these Friday night meatball dinners, where we have vegetarian, vegan options. We have, you know, again, because we're in DC, um, like all these things where we, we try to be accommodating, but we also have a regular meeting of, of people that we give a damn about in our lives. And that has become in many ways our community. This podcast has become for me, you know, a way to converse with people and, in, and try to keep it as two ways as possible. You, you talk about how to be different. There's a whole section of the book about how to be different. And then there's a section of the book about staying or finding your own folks what is the message for people? That, for example, we've we've moved our Friday night meatball dinners to Zoom, like many other people. We've had to we've had to uh, do that. Um, but how do we? How do you find your community how, if you're weird? Like how do you how do you do that? What what is the from from the the reporting that you did for the book and from your own life? What is the the impetus for finding that good? Yeah, so it's definitely tough, and that's like one of that's probably the thing that the so so to be clear like the people who I talked to were the only like I reached out to them because they were different so they don't have a natural kind of it's not like a group of male preschool teachers it was like the one right so um I would say okay so several of them like um so yeah so getting support is a huge way to like be okay with your weirdness right. to power through things like those meatball dinners are probably like the most healthy thing you're doing um for yourself even though meatballs aren't that healthy um and like <laughs> okay but I, I will say i started it in april of 2016 because i was on the campaign trail and desperately needed some normalcy in my life four years later how glad am i that i have you know like 70 something of these under our belts because you know, it, it's a it's a thing that we do now. You know, it's like this this routine that um, it, it, again, I and 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 through it, we've found our tribe of people. Right, we found other people who think this is a fun way to do it. Every culture, every every religious organization has like a weekly tradition, and this has become ours. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think that's I think that's really cool. And so so some of the people in the book, yes, like they did versions of of that um i think some of them had to like broaden their sense of like who is in their community versus not like i think you know especially i'm thinking of the um liberal professor in a really conservative place like she now has like super republican evangelical christian friends and like a big part of evangelical christianity is trying to convert your friends and like she just kind of like lets them try (laughs) like you know what i mean like like you just have to kind of like your your friends if you're if you're weird your friends are not all going to be like you yeah. they're they're going to be disagree with you and like some of them just become more comfortable with that like kind of discomfort of you know 
uh, yeah, some of my choices don't right. really comport with like what society thinks is normal, but right. I, I, you know, they have a way of talking to themselves about it and like powering through it in a way that it, that, um, you know, that for them, they're still able to like maintain connections with right. other people, even though, even if other people think they're weird. I enjoyed what I assume is only the tip of an iceberg of personal stories. You, like I said, there are a lot of characters throughout the book, people that you've checked in on and, and sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll, it'll just be a few pages of them and then you'll go on and do some more, but sometimes it's, it's dozens of pages or whole, whole sections in between updates. And, and I enjoyed not only those people, but also, yourself because you gave a lot of your own. And when you mentioned the conversion attempts of evangelical Christians, again, what I imagine is only the tip of the iceberg of a lifetime of your experience in, in West Texas, uh, where you were inundated with people trying to get you to kind of be the, the, the round peg in their round hole for you. I mean, this was just a, a lot of stories in the book, but I'm assuming thousands more not in the book of you kind of buffeting aside people's attempts to make you into their like little Texas girl. Like <laughs> the, the, what, what you described later when you finally got an American girl doll is kind of like this assimilation strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't know. I don't want to characterize it as like nefarious, like, like it's part of their religion, right. To try to get other people to believe in it. Um, and I, for a while, was going to evangelical Christian church and described myself as an evangelical Christian. And I tried to convert other people into evangelical Christianity because that's what you're supposed to do. I have never so, met this Olga, but I would love the ability just for like a day to see this version of you. That That is fantastic to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I really like I was like, look, I really am miserable. I really want to belong. The way to do it is to be an evangelical Christian. And like, if I just follow all these rules, if I just do all these things that they want me to do, then I can, um, I can have a, you know, community. I can, I can like not be so alone. So I really, I went a hook, line and sinker for it. Um, but yeah, there was like a lot of stuff. Oh, like I had a babysitter for a while who, um, was really into speaking in tongues. Um, yeah. And like, that was really tricky because, um, like it was so I was a kid so it kind of sounds like um like make-believe or like play you know like kind of right. kid babble talk like kind of you know how kids like make up languages and things and like um, I still do as an adult but yes I, do, I know what you mean <laughs> as a child um so but like so I thought that that's like kind of you know I thought she was like kind of entering this like playful state of like like m- m- make up you know, make believe and like, but she would get super mad if like, I was like, Oh, ha ha. Like we're playing a game. But she's like, no, I'm talking to the Lord. And I was like, Oh, like, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was like a little, I don't know. There were just like a lot of things like that where I don't know. I, I just remember like for so long, like people were like, Oh God, the thing. Okay. So the thing they always say is like, accept Jesus Christ into your heart. And I never, New, like that that metaphor just doesn't really make sense to me like I don't understand how someone can be in your heart like what makes the difference between being someone being accepted into your heart and not is it like getting into Harvard where you get like a letter like I just don't like what is what is like accepting something into your heart and like I was like do you just say it also it? sounds dangerous right. I mean there could be a blockage <laughs> there's there's a lot of 
Um, yeah. Medically, it's unsound is what I'm trying to no, say. No, but it was, yeah, it was it was just like a very confusing time in my life that I think like permanently scarred me if I'm being honest. But anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. So I do not want to take a detour into childhood trauma. However, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> But I'm forced to by the circumstances that I am controlling in my podcast at this moment. Um, the, the the amount of stuff that was boiled up, I, I feel like people who read this and who've got their own version of being weird, I would recommend it to them because it was there was a lot of catharsis I felt because of the stories that you highlight, because of the ways in which you you handle them as a reporter with a lot of experience, again, you know, your, your work in the Atlantic, your work elsewhere. Um, there was a lot of care. Um, and, and I felt that, and it was a balm for me to see you handle a, a disparate range of stories, um, well, but also with a lot of, uh, empathy, uh, empathy, which you deny having in many parts of the book because of your own personality and, and, and neuroses. <laughs> and then and then I and then I actually thought to myself several points. I was like, no, she has it. She just uses it in in her in her work mode. Like this is how you you are empathetic is it's, it's a professional, uh, which was. It. So anyway, I, I'm trying to defend you. I, I promised Thanks. I would talk about childhood trauma, but I'm actually defending you, which is exactly what my childhood trauma would uh, lead me to try to do. Um <laughs> I want to I want to end with a with a question about the the purpose of the book because it feels like um, to me the the book's mission is almost in opposition to the title because there's a common thread of self expression self identification self awareness again as I mentioned yours and others throughout the book we keep seeing these stories and the book is 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 titled weird but are we my question for you, are we less weird when we share these experiences widely or when we try to bring others into our experience? Basically, I'm saying, are you trying to get everyone to talk in your version of tongues? Um, so I I do think that like one conclusion that I came to personally um, as I worked on this book is that I am not as weird as I thought. Like I, I kind of I don't know. I feel like even... let's not go too far. <laughs> yeah, like like I, I guess I, I don't know. I do think that every, so so one of one of my sources put it really well when she was actually talking to her daughter. She's the transgender politician, and she was like, her daughter was really worried about the fact that she has OCD, and she kind of was feeling really insecure about that, and like, how is she ever gonna um, overcome this kind of uh, condition? And so the politician who was not out to her family at that time went and changed into the full um you know her wig and makeup and everything and like right. quote unquote became whatever a woman like uh you know dressed as a woman um for the first time in front of her daughter and um you know she told me she's like she needed to see that everyone has something and and i think that message of like everyone has something is like a, a really good one that like yes you probably feel really weird and you feel like no one else is suffering or dealing with the same things that you're dealing with but in fact like a lot of people have something and like you never know like you never know what other people overcame and like what what like secret insecurities they have um so like i don't know that's that's kind of one one message that i took away from that experience with the 
with Jess. I, I found her story to be, in particular, one of the ones that I, I, I mentioned Daniel earlier, but that and and Jess really spoke to me as people who um, I, I'm sure everyone will come out of this with different ones that they kind of attach to for different reasons and and other things. But those are two that really uh, that really hit me. I, I think I think. For people who are wondering, you know, to pick this up and or or to you know, get it in some way that doesn't involve human contact because that's the the hellscape that we currently find ourselves in. Um, it was a book that both I felt the community of the weird that you've described, but also uh, a resilience to as you were t- describing earlier to embrace that weird myself. So uh, the two purposes, I felt it as I was reading it and I would encourage people who want to feel either or both of those things uh, to read the, the, uh, the, the work that you've put together uh, and put out at this opportune business time uh, uh, while, while we're all uh, huddled together uh, for, you know, in one corner for fear of falling uh, weird is the book, the power of being an outsider in an insider world. Olga Hazan is joining me. We're at the table. Uh, Olga is also a, a staff writer for The Atlantic, uh, someone that, that I know here in D.C. And, and who is a genuine pleasure to be around, despite the fact that she has fronted as, uh, uh, as someone who is, <laughs> who is very unusual. She is actually quite quite pleasant to be around. So, Olga, thank you so much for, for being pleasant in this conversation and, and for the people who were able to hear it uh, through, through this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this was super fun.